We are glad to see you today. Thank you for coming and being a part of our worship. Thank you so much to Bobby and the praise man leading us in worship. The goodness of God is running after us. How appropriate for what we'll be talking about today. In fact, if you find your Bibles or smartphones or there's some Bibles there underneath the seats as well, I'd love for you to be able to look at these passages with us. 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel 12. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 14 here in just a moment. Good to see you today. You know, uh, last week we had, uh, we had shrimp and barbecue when we filled up the place. And uh, now we recognize it's kind of fall break at that time, but uh, we know that there are many traveling. We'll be praying for them as well as uh, uh, us here today. We're glad to, glad to see you as well. Uh, we do want you to be prepared at the end of the service. Uh, we are going to, the, today's Deacon Selection Sunday. And uh, so last three or four weeks we have uh, had the names of eligible men and those who are willing to put their names uh, on the ballot there and uh, for you to look at. And if you didn't get one today coming in, it's okay. We'll pass those out at the end. And uh, you will be able to have those. Just want you to be prepared for that. We're going to pray here in just a moment for that as well. And uh, pray that the right men uh, be servant leaders in our church. And so you don't want to do that during the service. For one, let's focus on the scripture at this time. But also that uh, you'll be given instructions. And we'll be sure that you follow instructions. We'd hate for you to have to raise your hand twice to get another ballot or something. But, uh, uh, but we're, we're glad to be here today. Know the Lord has us here uh, for a great and wonderful purpose. And uh, it is already to bring praise to his name and to be able to hear his word. Let's bow together for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you even now, we are thankful that you're in this place. And we thank you, Father, for how you have already been at work in this worship service. Thank you for using the praise band to direct us towards you. And we thank you, Father, that as we come, we can come confessing our sins, bringing our needs to the altar. And uh, we thank you that you are chasing after us, that you want to meet with us in this very place. We do pray, Father, for those who may be traveling. We thank you for those who are listening live stream as well, as is often the case. And Father, we, we pray that you may continue to be at work even now. Father, may our hearts be ready to hear from you and from your word. We pray also, Father, for our deacon selection process for Parkway Baptist Church. We thank you for those men who are serving, who have served in the past. We pray now, Father, you may use our process so that uh, we may have the correct men selected to be servant leaders and to serve as deacons. And Father, we uh, look to you uh, to provide uh, certainly those uh, who are willing to serve and to use our church uh, in that selection today and turn that over to you. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 12, going to be reading verses 1 through 14. This now is the word of God. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. Rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children, and it used to eat of his morsel, drink from his cup, and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who'd come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. 
And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in the sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I'll take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Apparently, David was not very careful. In the previous chapter that we read, actually a couple of weeks ago, we spent some time talking in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we found David at home on the roof in his palace. And he saw a woman bathing, the one we now know as Bathsheba. And from that look, it set off a chain of events that led to adultery, then to lies, and then to cover up and to murder and to the marriage and a baby being born to David and Bathsheba. In David's mind, he may have thought that all this was behind him until we come to the very last verse in chapter 11. This said, God's watching. In fact, it says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, if perchance you'd not read chapter 11 before coming in, even though it's been two, two weeks, you could have come in today anxiously and cautiously awaiting to see what happens when God is displeased. I think it's okay to bring our emotions into the story. After all, we love David. God loved David. We were glad when David became king. We rejoiced about David's victories over God's enemies. His successes are beyond measure. It has already been prophesied that there would be born one of David who would reign eternally. And of course, that was fulfilled through Jesus. And all other kings of Israel would be compared to David. And while all sins are equal, the sin is a sin, we understand. Let's face it, these sins of adultery and murder are real heavyweights. Now, if these sins were not so bad, we might be thinking, well, maybe God could overlook the sin of David. But here's what we discovered through this chapter and through many parts of the Bible. And the theme throughout the Bible, along with God's grace, is that God cannot overlook any sin. Our primary emphasis in chapter 11 is how we might overcome temptation and that we avoid sin with God's help and strength. In fact, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, though temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will, with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape so that you might be able to endure it. Hopefully, even though David sinned and continued to dig a hole deeper and deeper without repentance, we can learn to avoid sin more and we can begin pleasing the Lord more. However, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners. In fact, those of us who have given our heart and life to Jesus, we recognize that we are sinners. We are simply sinners who are saved by grace. 
This chapter, this episode in David's life will help us to know what we are to do when we sin. While we will never be sinless, if you've heard me and others perhaps say before, we hope that we do sin less, but that doesn't begin to happen until we recognize and we follow the purpose for which God has made us and for which we are reborn. And that is that we might exalt the name of Jesus and that we might glorify His name at all times. So let's unpack this chapter a little bit in this part of David and Bathsheba's story, asking the question, what do we do after we sin, after the fact, after we have committed sin against God? Now, almost always, we always want to go a little bit deeper and let's also look for evidence of God's grace in David's life. We're going to look for evidence of grace in David's life. And Notice the question at the bottom of your notes. If you picked up notes this morning as you came in, at the bottom of the notes, it asks the question, where do you see evidence of God's grace in your own life? And it's okay that uh, it's always okay if you take notes when and wherever, but it's okay as we, as we go through this that if you see, think of evidence in particular in your life that you may want to jot something down at the bottom as well. And I think you'll be able to see the transitions that we're going to make fairly easily if you're paying attention to look for the next lesson. And each will build upon the other. But here's the first one. It is this. May you see sin as God sees sin. May you see sin as God sees sin. What does sin look like from God's perspective? Sin breaks the heart of God. He's grieved over the sin, particularly of those of the family of God, those who know Jesus, sins which are unconfessed and without repentance. Now, we've seen in David's story how unconfessed sins leads to more sin and repetitive sin, even more so for the child of God. If you put your faith in Jesus and turn your life over to Him, you're part of the heavenly family. Well, just as a parent grieves over a wayward child, so God grieves over His children who sin. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 9. We read it just a moment ago. But verse 9 uh, tells us, it says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? David's sins were not just against Bathsheba. They weren't just against Uriah. They weren't just against the soldiers who also died because of David's cover-up. But he was sinning against God. See, if, if David had seen sin as God sees sin, then as soon as he had allowed Uriah to die and had murdered Uriah, well, he would have confessed his sins right then and God would have directed his steps. If David had seen sin as God sees sin, he would have confessed his sin after his sin with Bathsheba and there would have been no needless bloodshed. If David had seen sin as God sees sin, he would have turned away from what he saw and with God's help, temptation would have not led to sin. But David's learning a valuable lesson. He's teaching us a valuable lesson today. If you've been with us in the past few weeks or the past few months, we've been also learning from David's Psalms. We've been sometimes reading the Psalms that David wrote, in particular some of the Psalms that had to do with the different stories and the different episodes in David's life. And they've allowed us to be able to see things from a, from a much more clear perspective because then we don't just see the facts, but we were reading through the Psalms what David was thinking, what he was feeling, and even what he was telling God as he was going through, through some of the things in which he said. Now, as you might could guess, there are not any Psalms being written, particularly about chapter 11 when David was sinning, at least the nine months while David wallowed without remorse and in unconfessed sin. It's hard to truly exalt the Lord and live a lifestyle of sin at the same time. Or how about this? 
you and I can only fake it for so long. But after David's confession and as a part of his repentance before God, he writes at least two Psalms. He writes Psalms 51 and Psalms 32. We're going to be looking particularly at Psalms 51 today. Depending on time, we may read a little bit of Psalm 32. But in Psalm 51 and verse 4, after David has gone through, after David has confessed his sin, he writes this, "...against you, and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment." Do you, do you think David now sees sin a little bit more from God's perspective? How about you? You and I should be able to see even a better view of God's perspective than David did. Well, why is that? It's because we live in this particular time, in this particular moment in history. You see, when David lived, he was prophesied that there would one who would be born. In fact, it happened in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when David wanted to build a temple for God and to house the Ark of the Covenant. And Nathan the prophet came and told David that God was saying that he was not going to build, but there would be another, a son who would come and build. And then he talked about yet another who had yet to be born, who would establish a kingdom that would reign forever. And that promise was fulfilled in Jesus. But you have the privilege, you and I have the privilege of living in a time and a place on this side of the cross and the resurrection where you know the price of sin is death. And Jesus, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, came and died in your place. He took your sins and he nailed them to the cross. It is in your hands and my hands that are the nails and the hammer that put Jesus on the tree. We put Jesus on the cross. He willingly, lovingly took our sins upon him. And consider that David had only a small portion of the Bible, the first five books, the Pentateuch or the Torah, as it is called. We have the entirety of God's word that tells us about the penalty of sin and how God feels about sin and about his grace and his mercy. Yes, you and I should have a better understanding even than David about sin and its seriousness. We also have a better understanding of God's initiative to come to us even before we come to him. We read, you might take a look, the first five verses in verse 1 to where it says, And the Lord sent Nathan. We might could compare that to John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. If you're looking for evidence of God's grace in this chapter, it's found in these first few words of chapter 12. Stop and for just a moment. I mean right now and even here. Maybe just whisper a prayer of thanksgiving and praise for a God who intervened in our life, who made his way to us, who interceded and came so that we might be able to have life. If you don't think that God is involved in your life right now, either you're not paying attention or that you need to spend more time asking the Lord to help you to see how he is working and where he is working. Your heavenly father, the Lord Jesus are not going to leave you alone, especially if you strayed from his pathway. Here's some evidence of, of grace, God's initiative, and Nathan's confrontation. From a believer's perspective who have unconfessed sin, confrontation and discipline, confrontation even from somebody else or discipline even from God is not fun, but sometimes it is necessary. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little tongue, what you say. To see sin as God sees sin is one thing, but then what do you do? 
Well, confess your sins before the Lord with sincerity. Confess your sins before the Lord with sincerity. True repentance is not just being sorry for what you have done, nor is it just repeating a prayer whether it is allowed or otherwise. True repentance involves sincerity and change. The word repent means to make an about face. Nathan confronts David. We commend him for his courage and his approach, obviously under the Lord's guidance. Few people love confrontation or to be confronted, but we understand sometimes it is necessary. So we could talk much more about Nathan's confrontation and lessons that we could learn from it. Let me just give you these three simple guidelines for confrontation. And the first one is this, seek God's guidance before confrontation, before confronting someone. There's something that needs to be done. If you're looking forward to confrontation, you can't wait to tell somebody what they've done wrong. You probably need to wait. You probably need to spend a little bit more time, perhaps, in guidance. And we understand under the Lord's guidance that you, we approach people in different situations differently. We need to find His guidance. Also, speak the truth in love. Uh, Brother Dick spoke about this last week in Ephesians, about speaking the truth in love and how important that is and how these two go together because truth without love is brutal and love without truth is misguided. Jesus helps us to be able to define both. And then search your heart first. Search your heart first. It's easier to see each, each other's faults or someone else's faults when we might be blind to our own faults. Seems like Jesus said something about that as well. We could spend a lot more time talking about confrontation, but here's some guidelines. Nathan told David a simple story or parable. We might see it now, but David, I think, heard it as if it was really happening. He said, there's a poor man and there's a rich man. The rich man has lots of herd and lots of cattle. The poor man has one ewe lamb which he bought. And it became a pet. It really became more than a pet. It became a member of the family. You can understand that because some of you have pets that are members of the family. Ate from the table, drank from the cup, slept with the family. And it became, the scripture says, like a daughter to the man. And then suddenly the rich man, he had a visitor. He had a guest come to see him and he wanted to make him something to eat. But instead of taking from one as many cattle or as many sheep, instead he went to the poor man, took or stole his lamb in order to be able to feed his visitor. Listen, David, he, Nathan tells David this story and David begins to have this righteous indignation, anger, he said, even before Nathan asked the question of what should be done, we find David... Assuming this is a real happening, the Bible doesn't tell us that it's not, and probably these kind of disputes were handled by prophets all the time. And David says, this man deserves death. He must pay him back fourfold. Now, David knows the law of God. That's what it says about something that happens like this. If someone steals a sheep or a lamb, they're to pay back fourfold, proving you can know God's word. You can see the fault in others and find it easy to find other people's faults and still be blind to your own sins and what you need to do. Why do you think this story might particularly appeal to David and why Nathan might would use that? You probably already know because David was a shepherd. He spent first part of his life taking care of sheep and Nathan under the Lord's direction has David, David with his high and with emotions running high, ready to pounce with all David's power and authority Nathan has David right where he wants him. And he says those four famous words. 
Now, in today's vernacular, at least among men anyway, these words might be said because some man did something good or he made the play or perhaps knew the right answer. But in this situation, not so much. And David knew it. You are the man. David's sins had found him out. God says to David through Nathan, God says, I made you king, David. I saved you from Saul. I gave you the authority to rule over all of Israel and would have given you much more. Why have you done evil against the Lord by your murder and adultery? And to make matters worse, you use a foreign sword to commit murder. And then there was a list of the consequences of David's sins were, were there. And for the first time in what had to seem like a very long time, David confessed. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13 says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sins. You shall not die. The penalty for adultery or murder, either one in the Old Testament, the, mur the penalty was death. You might remember in the New Testament, the crowd that brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And you might remember Jesus' response, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So Jesus, and this story of David helps us to know there is room for grace. Remember the definition of grace is undeserved love or favor of God. Sincere confession does not have the attitude for us today that says, Lord, I confess you've got to forgive me. It's the deal that we've come up with. No, we understand it, it does trust in his promises, but it is understanding and recognizing we are undeserving of God's forgiveness, though it is real. Do you think David got it right? Psalm 51 verses 1 through 3 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I think David got it right. What are evidence of grace you've seen in this part of this? It's certainly the forgiveness of God and also the fact that it is not death. <laughs> it's the same for us that while we live once and we will die once if the Lord tarries, but we will not die twice. Perhaps you put yourself in Nathan's place. If we looked at some, some guidelines for confrontation, it is probably even more appropriate that we put ourselves in David's place. Has God somehow confronted you about your sins in the past? Is God confronting you about your sins maybe even today? After all, you may not be king of Israel, but if you're a member of God's household, you are part of the royal family. You have been saved from your sins, saved from hell. You're saved from a life of slavery to this world and free to be able to serve and live with purpose as a part of God's kingdom. And he wants to give you so much more. He gives us greater incentive to live faithfully and be obedient. May your answer and mine be like David's and confess our sins and trust in his grace and forgiveness. And may we daily search our hearts and lives and confess our sins before him, knowing he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or if you have not yet become part of God's family, today Jesus is warning you to repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven without Him. Put your faith in Jesus. No sin is so great that God cannot forgive, and no one is so far away that they're out of reach from God's love. 
Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little hands, what you do. So if you see sin as God sees sins, if you confess sin with all sincerity, then what? Well, live as, you, as if you have experienced God's grace and love. Live as if you have experienced God's grace and love. By the way, if, if you are, have a sin in your life that seems to keep repeating itself, even though you maybe have confessed, or if you're living a certain lifestyle that you know is not pleasing to the Lord, or maybe you've tried under your own strength to make changes but to no avail, I would encourage you to do this. Don't just decide that I'm, I'm going to try not to sin anymore, but instead be in an all-out pursuit of Jesus. Seek to be able to know Him more and experience even more of God's grace and watch how His strength and how His power will help you. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we read through verse 14. Let's read verses 15 through 17. Verse 15 says, Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Here's a question for you. Was, uh, was David completely forgiven or was he only partially forgiven? Well, I'm here to let you know that David was completely forgiven. As you and I are the moment that we come and become part of the family of God and ask for the Lord to forgive us and come into our heart, we're completely forgiven of our past, present, and future sins. We recognize, though, sometimes even as safe sinners, there are consequences because of our sins. Daily consequences, if they are unconfessed sin, is broken fellowship with Jesus, and perhaps we lose more opportunity to be used in, by God in kingdom work. Daily confession renews that fellowship and makes us usable vessels. David is called the man after God's own heart partly because of his confession of sins and his complete trust in God regardless of the consequences. Now, some consequences are more natural cause. A person who drinks too much or even eats too much could be cause physical harm. A consequence of promiscuity could be sexual disease, pregnancy, or emotional or relational problems. Or as in David's case, sometimes there is what seems to be God-ordained consequence. But in David's case, and always for all believers, it, these are designed for our discipline and for our good and for God's glory. Now, hear me in this. For some people, for some who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can accept sometimes that God has forgiven us, but we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. But you need to understand that if the Lord has forgiven you, that you should be able to forgive yourself as well. In fact, the Bible tells us that He has taken our sins and He has buried them in the deepest part of the sea. And so if He's buried your sins in the deepest part of the sea, there's no reason to dig it up anymore. Satan may remind you of your sins and tell you that you're still guilty, but God says that you are forgiven, you are free to serve and to live for Him without guilt. You have to decide who you're going to listen to. As far as consequences, natural or God-ordained, do not live in fear. Trust that God will either take away all consequences as He often does, 
or he will help you through every consequence you face and God's name will be exalted. He will be at work in you and you will be able to be a better witness and testimony for others. Do you believe it to be true? Well, live like you believe it and have experienced God's grace. David fasted and prayed for seven days after the child was born, not because he felt guilty, but because he knew if there was an answer, it would only be found in God. In fact, you could mark this. Chapter 11 that we read a couple of weeks ago, David did everything wrong. Chapter 12, David did everything right. One reason this is a good story for us to be pay attention to is because oftentimes we read stories in the Bible of people that, good people that prayed to God and God answered their prayers exactly the way in which they had asked. But there are exceptions. And this is one of those exceptions. And as an example, then even when God does not answer us the way we have asked and we have found God is so different from us, it seems to be more like that today. But even when He does not, we can still trust Him and know God is still the God of grace and the God of love. The Bible tells us the baby was born. The baby was sick. The baby died seven days later. David's servants are afraid to tell him. After all, if David would not get up off of his knees, if he would not eat, if he would not sleep, well, what's he going to do when he finds out that the baby has died? But David hears them whispering, the scripture tells us. And so he asked them a straightforward question. Is the child dead? They give a straightforward answer. The child is dead. You can almost feel the solemn atmosphere in the room. But know what David did next. Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20, it says, Then David rose from the earth, and he washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. May I put an emphasis on the fact that he went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. I wonder how long had it been since David truly worshipped God. His fasting, his praying, his worship, even his demeanor, all evidence he's experienced the grace and the love of God. Who's watching this? Well, we know that his servants are watching. Maybe all of Israel had found out by then, certainly maybe those in Jerusalem. David's actions in this crucial time will influence many and they're still doing it today because we're reading it about it today. When you are at your lowest, maybe even when you've experienced a loss, will you trust and will you worship God? The psalmist said in Psalm 51, verses 6 and 8, David said, Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. What's the evidence of grace in David's life? It's the privilege of worship. It should be the same today. It is the privilege that regardless of what happens, regardless of our mistakes, regardless of what's happening in this world, we're able to worship Him. On a lighter note, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when our children were fairly young as a typical Friday night, and I call the pizza place and I'm going to order pizza. I don't even have to ask what we're going to order. It's the same every time. One large pepperoni, one large cheese pizza, it'll get them through the entire weekend. 
So I called and ordered the pizza. I said, can you deliver? He said, we're really uh, busy. It's going to be two hours before the pizza can come. I said, okay, I'll come and get it. So I come and get it. I pick up the pizza and I go home, open up the pizza box. It's not pepperoni. It's not cheese. It's anchovies and mushrooms or something I know they won't eat. And we got something else planned. So I call them up and I say, Hey, you've delivered the wrong pizza, or I picked up the wrong pizza. Since you've got the wrong pizza, could you deliver it this time? Oh, we'd be glad to deliver it, but it'd be a couple of hours before we can come. I said, even if you made a mistake, I'm sorry, made a mistake. said, but if you'll come in, we'll give you the other two, the, the, the other two pizzas free. I had to think about that free for a moment. Now tell me about what you mean by free, because I've already paid for the pizza. Yeah, but you can keep those pizzas, and these other two pizzas will be free. Well, my children aren't going to eat these pizzas. And it's not free. Yeah, it'll be free because I'm not going to... I said, are you going to give me my money back? Well, I can't do that, but your next two pizzas are free. I wanted him to understand that I had already driven there once. I'm fixing to drive there again. I've already paid for the pizza. It, I said, is the manager in? No, I am the manager. I said, well, I just want you to understand. I'm going to come get it. But it's not free. He said, you're right. It's not free. So I know you're wondering where I'm going with this story. Me too, a little bit. But I came back to the pizza place and I walked in and there the manager standing behind the counter. And I could tell that he recognizes me as I walk in. He said, it's you. Why didn't you tell me it was you? I visited your church. You've been to my house. You told me about Jesus. Oh, he really didn't say that last part about you told me about Jesus, but I knew that I had. Oh, I started backing up. I said, oh, this is okay. Listen, can I pay for those other pizzas and pay for this pizza? Can I give you some money? And uh, I felt really low. And then uh, one day this week, I called my wife and she's with a group of ladies and she answered the phone by saying, uh, be careful what you say. Uh, I got you on speakerphone. Uh, has, anybody, has that ever happened to you all? Y'all do the same? Yeah. I said, I really, I said I'm just going to pretend I'm on God's speakerphone from now on. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you do. Oh, be careful, little heart, who you trust. Oh, be careful, little heart, who you trust. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little heart, who you trust. You know you're to live. We talked about it as you've experienced God's grace and love. Well, also, live as if you believe every promise of God. Live as if you believe every promise of God. I got to tell you, I feel so much better learning from David what David did right. He writes, during this episode, Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, Create in me a clean heart. A clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Return to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David wrote this psalm after being confronted with sin. God was doing the very thing that he asked in his heart. Who knows, David may have written this psalm during the seven days in which he fasted and prayed. Or he may have written this psalm as he went into worship after he found out the baby had died. His servants who watched David wanted to know why. Why did David fast and not eat or sleep while the baby was sick? But now, after the baby has died, he's risen and eaten food and washed and worshipped. Oh, that we could live a life that people would ask why. Why are we seeking to live for the Lord Jesus? What difference does it make even when we go through tough times? Why do we believe every promise of God? Why would we still worship a God during all of the tough times that are happening in this world? Why would we try to live and act correctly? 
Well, David was ready to tell him. He'd spent time with God. His faith was renewed. Look what he told him, verses 22 and 23. 2 Samuel 12, verse 22 says this. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Words that should bring comfort to everybody who has lost a loved one from zero to a hundred. He's promised there is a life that is beyond this life. Live as if you truly believe the promise of God that we are not here for, but for just a short time. We are made to live with God for eternity. We're simply ambassadors who are passing through this world that we might give testimony so that more and more people might be able to know God and be able to make it to heaven. His promise is new life also in Jesus. Listen, evidence of God's grace is not done. Look at verses 24 and 25. Verse 24 says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her, lay with her. She bore a son. He called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. He sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Do you know that Solomon had a second name given by the Lord? Jedidiah means beloved of God. David would still be used to fulfill God's mission. So life is not done. God's still going to use him. This new life was evidence of God's grace. And to all who come to know Christ, he gives new life. He wants to give you this very day, this time, this hour, a refreshing and a renewal of life in Jesus. He's promised new life in Christ. It's okay to live as if you believe that promise. He's also promised a continued victory in our situations, even after we have failed. The last few verses of this chapter talks about David's military victories that continue, representative of the fact that we continue to have victory in Christ as well. God will give you a victory again, even if you failed him in the past. Now listen, victory is not necessarily dependent on your faithfulness and obedience. Does that sound new to you? But it is contingent. On you coming clean with God and your pursuit of a growing relationship with Jesus. Just in case you missed Jesus in this passage. Matthew chapter 1, 5 through 7 says this. And Salmon, talking as the genealogy of Jesus, is in Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And verse 6 says, And Jesse, the father of David the king... And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon... Bathsheba, this episode mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Why? Well, does it put a black eye on things? It certainly does not. It is a reminder of the grace and the evidence of God's grace. It's also a reminder that Jesus is born of sinners so that he might be able to save sinners. Evidence of grace in David's life. Testimony that he's able to give. New life that is found in God represented by Solomon. And continued victory. Psalm 32, one of the other Psalms that David wrote says this. Psalm 32, verses 10 to 11. I think we have that on your screen. It says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. All you upright in heart, David wrote. Be careful, little heart, who you trust. So let me ask you, what evidence 
of grace do you see in your own life? If it's none, perhaps you need to give your heart and life to Jesus today. But perhaps it's things like this. Maybe you want to choose one of these. Jesus made himself known to you. You would not be able to know Christ unless he was the one who approached you first. Forgiveness of sin that he's given you. You're made to worship. Your testimony that you're able to give about Jesus is evidence of God's grace. New life in Christ. Victory in Jesus every day. These are evidences of grace. These are things that we need to be thankful for today. Also serve as incentive that we might seek to please Him in all things and our purpose be to exalt and glorify His name every day. Let's bow together. Father God, we thank You for this time that we can come in Your house. We know that You have been at work because we have heard praises lifted. We have lifted up prayers And we have opened your word. So you want to be at work to speak to us. It is the element that we want to continue to choose to give to you. Speak to us even now, Father. Continue as we come to the conclusion of this worship service. But we understand it's not over. That you continue to want to be at work, Father. And may we be grateful for the grace that you have bestowed upon each one of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus. And may we understand and follow the lessons that you have for us that we can live as if we believe every promise we can live knowing that you have shown us grace. And may others be able to see that in us as well. And we pray, Father, if there's one or more here today, someone listening today that does not know you as Savior and Lord, you, grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, are waiting to be experienced by anyone who puts their faith in you and comes in confession of sin. It's in Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.